Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Osiris. Welcome to Wheels Off, a show about the messy reality of the creative life. I'm Rhett Miller. Lucinda Williams, does she really need any introduction? If you don't know Lucinda Williams and her brilliant catalog of music, I would highly recommend that you pause this introduction and go listen to Car Wheels on a Gravel Road, for instance. Really anything from her decades-long career. It all holds up. It's all great. The poetry of her lyrics, the magic of her melodies. She is a vivacious rock and roll hero. Certainly a hero of mine. I've gotten to know her over the years and consider her a friend, to um, watch her resilience in um, the post-stroke world in which she finds herself after having had a stroke a couple of years ago. She's just so kick-ass, you guys. She no longer is able to play guitar, but she is still rocking, and she sings better than ever, which we address at one point during this conversation. She has a new memoir out, uh, and a new album out, the memoir, Don't Tell Anybody the Secrets I Told You, the album, Stories from a Rock and Roll Heart. They're both great. The memoir is chock full of funny, fascinating, behind-the-scenes dirt, and just really, you know, deep thoughts. Great. Um, she's got a great perspective on what it means to spend a life being creative, creating art. Uh, her new album, as good as anything she's ever recorded. She's so great, you guys. Honestly, this conversation was so fun to have and means a lot to me to get to talk to her, pick her brain, but also honor her for the example that she sets for me and everyone else who does this job or any job in the field of the arts. She's as good as it gets. Please welcome to Wheels Off, the great... Lucinda Williams. Welcome to Wheels Off, Lucinda Williams. How are you, my friend? I'm pretty good. Fair to Midland. I know that <laughs> feeling. So for the, <laughs> for the edification of our listeners, from where are you logging in? Nashville, Tennessee, nice. at my house. It looks pretty. You got a lot of light in that room. I like it. Yeah. Um. Hey, congrats on the new record and the book. It's so exciting. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I got to hear a sneak preview of the songs when we played together back in February, and everything just sounds so good. Does it feel good to play these songs live? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Um, and I felt like your voice sounded better than ever in a lot of ways. Does it a feel- lot of people have said that. Like I sound better than I did before I had my stroke. <laughs> What is up with that? 
I don't know. It's weird. <laughs> um, so what do you what do you are you working on anything now beyond the promotion of those things, or are you just focusing um, on touring and stuff? Yeah, mostly touring and all that impress. I remember like this you, thing with you. I know. But, I, but, I, but I'm also working on new songs. You know, I'm always trying to write more stuff, you know. I, um, and I've been doing, a lot of times I do these side projects, like I just recorded a Lou Reed song for a tribute album. Which one? And um, I did um, Legendary Hearts. Oh, wow. Deep cut. Office. He didn't want. Yeah, they didn't want the Velvet Underground. They, it has to be a something from Lou Reed's solo career. So, did your paths yeah. ever cross with Lou Reed? Yeah, yeah. I went, got to go see him one time in L.A. and I met him and everything. And got to go back. Somebody took me. Someone who worked with him took me. So we got to be. In, we got introduced after a show and everything. I've heard I've heard uh, stories that he's famously ornery, but I've also heard that he's really uh -huh. sweet. So I imagine to you, I'm going to guess that he was the latter. He, he was real sweet. Yeah. Oh, man. Was it? See, I'm already asking you questions about, you know, like fun encounters in your life. Was it weird plumbing all those memories for the memoir? A little bit, you know, because you don't want to. Well, I didn't want anybody to feel weird or feel bad about anything I said. So I kind of tiptoed around some of that stuff, you know, like old boyfriends and, you know, that kind of thing. I know. Uh, yeah. I, I wonder, have you, have you encountered, you don't have to get into it, but have you encountered much blowback? Have you had to been no, called to task? I haven't yet, actually. <laughs> Good. That's I really used the word, I hoped I didn't use the word smitten too many times. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know if people what people are going to think about you know well how many guys was she with and you know like I mentioned who it was you know I said the names so but I wanted to tell the truth and I thought people would enjoy knowing you know I mean I'm not going to go into detail about you know the encounter itself you know but you know, I would just describe meeting a certain person and how I was smitten right away, you know, and all that. Which is a really sweet way to put it, I feel like. It is, isn't it? Smitten. I like that word. You know, it's funny. I wonder if folks from, you know, listening to your songs over the years would think of you as someone who's kind of, I don't know, like really tough in, in a lot of ways. Maybe it's the gravelly voice. Maybe it's yeah. <laughs> the persona. But in my interactions with you, I found you to be very sweet. I think I'm sweet. I think I come across sweet. Part of that's that Southern thing, you know, because yeah. <laughs> I'm a Southern woman. And us Southern girls grow up being taught certain things and, you know, don't do don't do something, you know, that's not ladylike. Yeah. You know, I got but, that a lot when I was growing up, you know, so. But I feel like um, one of the reasons you're such a role model, especially for young 
female artists coming up is that because you are such a strong woman and you've always made a point to stand up for yourself. Yeah, I like to think that I have that, that I made that impression. In fact, sometimes a little ornery. Yes, I can be ornery. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I remember a show we did together at Red Rocks one time. I don't know if you remember this. And the backstage situation um, was a little uncomfortable. And yeah, I think I kind of remember. In protest, you might have gone over the allotted time. Yeah, there was something with that. Wasn't Ryan? Was Ryan <laughs> Adams on the yeah. yeah. And he would not let any of us into the proper backstage accommodations. And you played, I think, until about midnight. Sorry. <laughs> God, I didn't realize that. I forgot about that. That was, a, that was a good one, though. He was apoplectic. He didn't take the stage till almost one in the morning to a half full yeah. auditorium. But you know what? Guess who was in the right? Lucinda he was Williams. ornery. He was being ornery. <laughs> yeah, he was. Um so I wonder, do you remember when this uh, when this all first started for you? And I must, I'm sure you must have revisited these um, memories for the book. Do you remember? Was there an epiphany moment when you knew that you were going to make a life in rock and roll? I want to think that it was when I first, very first, listened to Highway 61 Revisited, Bob Dylan's eponymous album that came out in 1965 which was the same year I started taking guitar lessons and you know that was the height of the folk boom that was happening you know and I'd already been listening to a bunch of folk singers and you know he was one of them of course and so everything kind of came together during that same time and I, I was only 12 then, but I remember listening to that album and just loving it. Just that I didn't understand all the words and everything, but, you know, there was something about it that the way he took traditional music and put that together with this very literary, you know, poetic writing just blew my mind on some level i understood it even though i was only 12. maybe because my father was a poet and so i was i grew up around in that literary world but also was listening to woody guthrie and pete seeger and all that you know do you remember the, the first song you wrote yeah <laughs> i think i was about 14 maybe it was called The Wind Blows. I wasn't aware of double entendres at that time, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just, it was so simple, just like a child's view of things, you know. The wind blows and it, it went like, the wind blows and it blows through the town and the people in the town hear it blow. The wind blows and it blows through the town and the people in the town hear it blow. And then I went through and said, the leaves fall and they fall to the ground and the da 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 da, -da you know. Because I've been listening to melodies really attracted to me. And these great songs were on the radio during that time. Like there was one called Today. And I can't remember who recorded it, but it was just really pretty song. 
and it was and it's something like today while the blossoms still cling to the vine i'll drink your straw i'll, I'll taste your strawberries i'll drink your sweet wine a million tomorrows may all pass away the da 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 da, da today you know just these really beautiful melodies like that would stream out of the radio and I would hear them and absorb, you know, that sound and everything. You know, it's funny when, when um, songwriter friends of mine will talk about you, um, everybody sort of winds up talking about your poetry and you as a poet and your lyrics, but it hit me watching you play when I most recently saw you, your melodies are so much better than most people that do, you know, kind of in the world that we live in where it yeah. tends to be. Very, I, it was, hey. it was, it was, you know, I think it was like essence or something that was just that yeah. I've always thought of as a really pretty simple song. The melody yeah. on it, God, it's such an earworm and it just blew me away. Thank you. That means a lot because melodies have always been important to me. And like I was saying, I've always been attracted to, you know, those like the great pop songs of the 60s, you know, had these great melodies. And that's what drew me in initially. And I mean, I think that's what blew my mind about Bob Dylan when he did that, when he entered into his folk rock stage, you know, because he had these great melodies with this, these amazing lyrics. And at some point in my little 12 year old mind, I decided that's what I want to do. I want to somehow find that combination the way he did, you know. Yeah, I think you've I think you've done it. Oh God, Rhett. <laughs> Thank and, you. Um, I wonder because in in the book you talk a lot about songwriting as therapy, you know, and how you've used your, you know, um your job to work through your you know, the stuff that you come up against internally. And I wonder, maybe in addition to that, if there is anything in addition to that, or if that's it, what what have you come up with as strategies for dealing with internally generated obstacles, like the negative voices in your head? Or yeah. like Ro Roseanne Cash talked about um, success guilt or imposter syndrome, that kind of stuff. How do you deal yeah. with that? Somebody asked me about imposter syndrome once. I wasn't, I didn't know about that. But I was doing an interview recently, and he said, do you think you might have imposter syndrome? I said, what's that? And then he explained it to me. Clearly not. Um, well, that's a good question and kind of hard to answer. Easy to understand and hard to answer, maybe. Um how do I deal with the demons that come in kind of? Um, writing is, is very therapeutic for me. That is how I deal with a lot of that stuff. You know, there's something about forming these sentences, these words and lines and everything and putting them on paper something about doing that that's very that feels good it's very cathartic 
you know. I remember when Car when Car Wheels came out, people wrote a lot about that record being a like a really therapeutic record for you. Yeah, I was thinking about my childhood a lot on that one, and I still write a lot about things from my childhood, looking back, and you know, um. Sorry, I wish I could. No, it's good. You, the work speaks for itself. That's why we don't have okay. to talk so much. No, that's good. I um, you know, I wonder. Somebody said to me once, and this is a theory I've I've kind of liked myself. I wonder if what your response would be. They say a, a songwriter, and maybe this is true for other artists as well. But what we do, we're always kind of each of us is kind of writing the same song over and over again. Does that land with you? Does wow. that feel like it might be true? That's kind of a, I can't think of the word, but sort of a scary thought, you know? <laughs> I, I mean, know. we're you stuck know, in a like, rut. <laughs> um, well, I guess I've thought in terms of, you know, that I've heard other people say this, that there are only so many things you can write about or or we do write about a lot of the same things different ways of saying the same thing like you know love songs there's love there's lust there's um i can't remember what they all are now <laughs> <laughs> love lust but you know what i mean yeah there's certain and you know you start to realize you know like I mean, there are only so many things you can write about, I guess. I start digging around and trying to find more things. You know, that's what I've been trying to do for the, I guess, since I started writing songs, probably. Do you, do you approach it, you feel like, like poetry? Do you think you're trying to build something with words and then make it work in the world of music? Yeah. I think that, you know, unfortunately... I've been thinking about this a lot. I regret not having, see, here's a regret. I regret, it's not the same kind of regret though. It's, <laughs> I regret not having studied creative writing actually, you know, which is what my father taught in college. Um, just so I would, you know, I would understand the actual technical structures of, you know, poetry and just sometimes I write something and I think, is this a poem, you know, or is this a song? Because my, my father was very adamant about the separation between poetry and songwriting. And he used to have these debates with some of his writing students about whether Bob Dylan was a poet or a songwriter. And they would say, he's a poet, he's a poet. And my dad would say, no, he's not a poet. He's a songwriter. There's a di big difference. And there is a big difference. You know, because poetry, the words have to stand alone. I really learned this when I took one, a couple of my dad's poems and turned them into songs. You know, and that was really challenging. Because a poem doesn't necessarily have a refrain or a chorus, you know. So it's just a different structure. 
If you ever I'm, if you ever written something entirely without melody, as if it were a poem, just like rhymed couplets, and then yeah. retroactively built a song out of it. Um, I don't know if I've done that necessarily, but I've written like I was like I said, I've written a couple of things where I wondered if they if they could be poems, you know. And actually, one time I sent something to my dad, and I said, Dad. It's this. You know, what do you think about this? I'm trying. Well, I was trying to sort of search around and see if I could become a poet. I guess. And I sent him this something that I'd written, and he said, "He said, honey, I think this wants to be a song." <laughs> <laughs> so it's funny he and, put it like that because I think yeah. of that. I think of that a lot. I feel like songs want things like they're living things and even um when you're writing a song you'll get to a point where oh this now it wants to go to the chorus or this yeah you feel like that yeah it, well you have to get so foreign inside of it when you're writing a song and it's so hard songwriting is so hard to explain i'm always amazed at these you know, songwriting convention things that they have or whatever you call them, where people, you know, you have a class of, you have students and you try, you show them how to write songs or, you know, yeah. I've been, I've been asked to go to some of those, you know, and I've always been intimidated about, I don't know if I could explain how I do it, you know, what do you think just, if 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 you had to do it what would be maybe like your big thesis statement? <laughs> well, I tell you actually this might be a good example. I was sitting I was at Tootsie's in Nashville one night and they used to have these kind of jam sessions there when I was living in Nashville before. And this young guy was there, he came and sat down next to me and he was a fan and everything. And he said, I want to know how you write songs. How do you do that? I just love your song so much. And I said, just right off the top of my head, I said to him, well, first you have to dig deep down inside of yourself. You have to be willing and able to go to that, the darkest areas of yourself, you know, your mind yourself and, you know, look at it and take it and, mold it and do whatever with it and that becomes the song you know and he looked at me with this look on his face like he was terrified almost you know he had this look like oh no it was the saddest thing i'd ever encountered i think he looked at me after i said that and said i don't think i can do that <laughs> and i just i thought god it just it broke my heart almost, you know, like I wanted to say to him, well, if you can't do that, then you're in trouble, you know, because that's the first thing I could think of that was important to be able to do as a songwriter and a poet, I think. And he said, I don't think I can do that. And I said, well, then I guess you'll be working at Walmart. I don't know. <laughs> No, I didn't say that. No, of course you didn't. Oh, that's so good, though. Um, but, you know, that that was an amazing encounter. 
do you feel like when you when you're working on a song, do you know what it's about? Yeah, I feel like I need to know. I was just thinking of that yesterday because I I started working on a new song about people being hauled away to mental mental institutions and you know because they don't fit in. And I got stuck at some point in the song, and I I was thinking about this last night. I thought, okay, what am I trying to say here? I'm trying to come up with these lines that rhyme. I mean, I knew what I wanted to say to, when I started it, but anyway, I had a, I have a framework in my mind, and I'm just I'm trying to think of other lines, and I'm frustrated right now because I've been battling with this song for the last week, you know. It sounds like a tough subject. Yeah, I just I had this image of. You know, this guy on the street, maybe, who's basically a warm hearted individual. And, you know, somebody comes along and they become friends. And then at some point, the guy gets taken, you know, his friend comes along the street one day and, and this, the homeless, I guess he's a homeless guy and he's not there. And then somebody else says, well, they came and took him away, you know. And so the the person who's the person in the song is saying, um, they took him to the place where they take the ones who don't fit in, you know. I came up with that line and then then I was kind of like, okay, where do I go from there? You know, it reminded uh, me of John Prine a little bit. You know how he always, <laughs> he's so good about writing about his, he's so empathetic. He writes about these tragic figures, you know, and I, that's what I felt like I was doing kind of. I realized that I was being in, influenced so much by John Prine at that point, you know. The ones who don't fit in. Do you, yeah. ever, do you ever feel like, do you ever feel like that? Like you're too rock and roll for whatever this kind of country world or you're too country for the rock and roll world. Have you ever felt like a misfit like that? A little bit, but that's mostly because other people have said that, you know, or made me feel that way. You know, the industry mostly, you know, I mean, I did a demo tape a long time ago. Um, where I had a development deal with Sony Records. And so they paid for me to do a demo tape, after which time they would decide whether they were going to sign me or not. So I did this demo tape, a bunch of great musicians on it. And they passed on it, but they sent it to Sony Records. This was in L.A. And Sony in L.A. said it was too country for rock. So they sent it to Nashville and Sony and Nashville said it was too rock for country. That was the beginning of me falling in my music falling in the cracks between, which of course became Americana. But yeah, so I've battled with that for a while. I feel like you've had the last laugh. I mean, I hope that's how it feels <laughs> to you, right? 
Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Because a, a lot of labels passed on me. Uh, back in the 80s when I was living in L.A. and I was trying to get a record deal. And, you know, Rounder Records even came and saw me play. I was playing at Rogie's. Yeah, I remember Rogie's. Uh, that, yeah. was a, that was a dump. I know. Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, they came and saw me play and I didn't have my own band at that time. So I had a bunch of guys just sit, kind of sitting in with me. I think it was the Long Riders. Oh, yeah. Some of those guys. And Rounder said, you know, we really like your songs and everything and what you do, but we just don't feel like your, your show is really, you know, they said you're not really ready to go on the road yet because it wasn't together enough, you know. Or something like that. God, your band is great now. Thank you, you. And you've been with those same guys for for a while now. Some of them, yeah, like Doug Pettibone. Yeah. On guitar, yeah, he's been with me for a while. Oh, Lou. Okay, yeah. I, look, I don't want to keep you too much longer, but I got to ask you the big finale question because you've okay. shared you've shared a lot of wisdom. And people are going to love this. And I just wonder if you would try and sort of sum it up and imagine a 21-year-old version of you. Um, wow. And, but in, <laughs> but in, in today's messed up world, yeah, um, I'm wondering what advice you might give that little 21-year-old version. Um, well, it's easy to say, but might not be the easiest thing to do, which would be, because I've thought about that myself for myself even, you know. And it would probably be based on what I still deal deal with, which is insecurity sometimes and self-doubt. I would just say, you know, not to do that. You know, try to be, decide who you are and stick with that. You know, don't listen to too many people. Uh, you know, because there, there's all, everybody's got opinions and, there's always going to be somebody who says, you know, you need to dress differently or you need to fix your teeth or something, you know. I mean, I think they told Debbie Harry to get a facelift or something, her record label. Somebody told me that, mm. you know. So, I mean, there's going to be, it, it can go to that extreme or it can just be, you know, where somebody telling you to wear a certain thing because you have to project a certain image or something like that. So but, that would be, but yeah, that's Mark, not very, that's not good advice because it's too, it's so hard to do. I mean, no, it's, there, it's okay, to, but it's okay to be insecure and feel vulnerable. Maybe that's the good advice. It, you're going to feel insecure. You're going to feel vulnerable. Wait, here's a good piece of advice. It goes back to the what I told that kid in the, at Tootsie's, which is don't be afraid to go to the dark places, you know, as an artist. And my dad used to tell me one time he said, never censor yourself. I think that's a good piece of advice. I love that. Like you could yeah. maybe deal with it in the second draft if you have to later. Right. But for sure. Oh, that's beautiful. Good. You reminded me, Margot Price talks about uh, record labels trying to make her get a nose job. 
I remember I've, really? I've heard just so many stories about oh just my God. all these That's, different. I know. I know. I ran into a friend of mine, this guy, Bob Woodward. Uh-huh. No, Bob Woodruff. That was his. Yeah, Bob Woodruff. He was in Nashville and he was kind of a more of a rocker guy, but kind of on the edge of that. And kind of like a Dwight Yoakam style thing. And I ran into him one night somewhere in Nashville and he said, he was talking to this one label and he said, Lou, he goes, I don't know what to do. And I said, what's going on? And he said, they want me to get my teeth fixed. What should I do? And I said, my initial response was, tell them they can kiss your whatever, you know, like, because <laughs> I was like the rebel, you know, nobody's going to tell me what to do kind of thing. So were, I don't, I don't were. know, what, I don't like, know what came of that, but you know, that was always my initial response to anything like that was, you know. I think you still might be that. Oh yeah, I'm definitely that. <laughs> oh Lou, I love this. I really appreciate you spending time with me, <laughs> and I feel great. like great. I've never been up. We've never really sat and talked. Not without a lot of other like, noise. Yeah. Uh, well, you're so great, you're and I sweet just, too. I, you have a sweetness thing. Well, thank you, and Very I think the world sweet, of you. And you are so adorable. <laughs> well, Lou, <laughs> so I, hope, I just had to say that. I hope we get to share a stage someday, really soon. And I just think Me the too. world of you. Thank you. Remember that one we did? Was it in Dallas? That outdoor music thing? Oh yeah, you came and played and, the old 97s festival that we had with the big yes. uh, Ferris wheel. Yeah, and uh, Mavis Staples was there, and yeah, Mavis yeah, was there that, that day. That was fun. God, yeah. that was that was of all the ones we had. I think that was my favorite. <laughs> Having you and Mavis on there, that was magic. Yeah. <laughs> well, here's yeah. to here's to many more. Thank you so much, Lou. Thanks for having me. All right, I'll see you soon. Okay. All right, thank you so much for listening to Wheels Off. Please be sure to rate and review the show on iTunes. That helps us appear higher in the search results and lets other folks know that it's a cool podcast to listen to. Also, as the kids say, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else that you listen to shows like this so that you never miss an episode. This has been Wheels Off, and I'm Rhett Miller, encouraging you to create every day. Thanks, y'all. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today, such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, 
you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday.